Thank you for listening to another episode of Remake Rewind. I'm Mike, as always. This is my buddy, Alex. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Oh, man. Hanging in there. It's been a busy couple of days. And uh, oof, these movies we're going to talk about were, were a little rough. but It was an interesting weekend. That's that's the nature of the beast sometimes. So for those of you new, ugh, man, I can't even talk. I've been on the phone all goddamn day at work. Uh, for those who are new... Damn, I still can't say. For those <laughs> Leave that are it new in. to this podcast, uh, what we do here is we talk about a movie and its remake or reboot and talk about whether or not that remake or reboot should have happened or if it at least added anything to, you know, like cinematic history or if it was even worth making. Um, this episode, it's a little different. These movies aren't technically remakes or reboots. Uh, they came out within two years of each other with a very similar pre- um, premise. It and depends on who people, you ask, right? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. The The filmmakers have no animosity towards each other, and they all admit that it was just kind of a perfect storm of uh, just just happens to be a coincidence that these came out around the same time. Uh, that being said, these are not remakes or reboots, but they're very, very similar, and some of the fans were very upset. Um, but because they have a similar premise, we decided to just cover it for the sake of doing something a little bit different. Alex, what are, what are we going to be talking about today, bud? We're talking about Repo. The Genetic Opera, and Repo Men. I haven't seen either of these movies before. I did rent uh, Repo Men when it came out on Redbox, but the disc didn't work. I remember, as soon as I watched I remember the first Classic. few minutes of it, and then it just didn't work, and I didn't bother getting another copy. So Redbox trying I, to do you some favors. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, <laughs> in retrospect, I, was, I, I, got, I dodged a bullet, and now I have to watch this movie, or I had to watch this movie for this damn podcast. I'm happy to do it, <laughs> by the way. Uh, and Repo the Genetic Opera, I actively avoided for ever. See, that's funny because I feel like I had the opposite experience. I kind of knew what Repo the Genetic Opera was and I was attracted to it. Um, but for whatever reason, I just kind of I never ended up watching it, um, which is funny because I actually have it on DVD and I've had it for a long time. And uh, <laughs> it's just been kind of a blind spot for me. But I was interested in it like that. Hits a lot of my uh, hits a lot of my buttons or checks a lot of my boxes. It definitely seems in your wheelhouse. Yeah, and I and I actively avoided Repo Men because it looked terrible and got terrible reviews. And surprise, surprise, it wasn't great. Yeah, um, I mean, my initial. It, what's weird is like neither one of these movies were financially successful. Now, granted, Repo the Genetic Opera only went to like fifteen theaters when it came out, and then like a decade later became kind of a cult classic. And now it's got a huge, huge following. And uh, if you look at the Rotten Tomato scores, it's got like a 70% rating for, for the audience. And if you read a lot of the reviews, a lot of it is what you would expect from something like the room so bad that it's good. There are some legitimate reviews where people like the music and they like the set design and whatnot, but by and large, it seems like it's just a so bad that it's good kind of movie. Uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. My impressions was I thought it was going to be like a slasher film that also happened to be a musical. And that's really not what it was. Yeah, it was a little bit more Shakespearean than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, to call it a, a, a they, they called it like a horror opera. And I that the horror element's really not there. I wouldn't call this a horror film per se. Like there isn't any point where you feel scared or you feel afraid for any of the 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 characters at all, I would say. Uh, I mean, I feel like this is more like a Sweeney Todd than a, <laughs> than a, a horror film. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it kind of revels in uh, gore and violence a little bit, but it, at no point is it like scary or really suspenseful or anything. And what's interesting, this was directed by the guy who objectively did the best um, Saw film, so two, three, four, and then Spiral. Um, and now I've heard mixed things about Spiral, but two through two through four, most people consider the best of the nine. What is it, eight or nine Saw movies? Yeah. So yeah, either eight or nine. I I expected a little bit more from this. I, obviously, I we haven't even talked about it. I think people can kind of tell where my head is at with this one. Um, <laughs> but I am definitely happy to talk about it. Do you wanna you wanna summarize this one for us? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> let me clear my throat. <clears throat> In the not so distant future, an epidemic of organ failures devastates the planet. Genico, I heard them say Genico, right? Not Genco. They said both. Okay. Which, <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Genco because that makes more that's, sense. That's what I was going to say the whole time. Geneco, a biotech company that offers organ transplants for a price, capitalizes on the horrendous situation, and the Largo family that runs it becomes celebrities. Those who miss their payments on their transplants are scheduled for repossession and hunted by the repo men. The world is also plagued by mass addiction to surgeries and the illegal drug Zydrate. Shiloh, a sheltered young girl who suffers from a rare blood disease, is sucked into the family drama of the Largos as Patriarch Rhodey decides to leave Shiloh the company when he dies in exchange for the cure to her own rare disease, as well as information about her family's mysterious history. Yeah, I'd say that's that's fairly accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what happens. You know, honestly... This this plot was pretty easy to follow for, you know, something that the whole movie was out of focus. I really feel like the movie was shot and was blurry the entire movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was really disappointed at the, um, the transfer because that I don't think that the movie actually looks that bad. I think that's just what, you know, uh, the version that Amazon got for whatever reason. Um, and that's not necessarily the movie's fault, but it's hard not to... Um, think about it the entire time because it's constantly blown out i went online looking for images and stills to use for our uh thumbnails and they're almost all blurry too (laughs) so (laughs) it definitely Uh, whether whether or not the um the blurriness or the the low quality um is an issue there's um whatever they're doing with the lighting makes it look very low budget very uh 90s tv movie and this this didn't have a huge budget but you know for what it's doing the budget you see a lot of like the early saw movies had smaller budgets like this a lot of the 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 blumhouse uh, movies have budgets around this uh so you can make a movie that looks good for this budget it had an 8.5 million dollar budget uh yeah. So like you can definitely do something with this, but I, I feel like the some of the set design wasn't very good. Some of the set designs were interesting, but a lot of it was just blurry, out of focus, and gray. But despite all that, I I didn't think that this movie was hard to follow. Like plot wise, I think it well, it's like it made sense, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very like soap opera y where there's a lot of like twists and turns, but when you look at it with a bird's eye view, it's kind of like, oh, okay. It's family yeah. drama. But within that, there's a lot of um, nonsense. It's a lot of contrivance. And what's funny is, like, as I was watching this movie, I didn't see. I knew the premise of Repo Man, and I kind of knew what I was going to be getting before I even watched it. Like, it's a pretty generic movie. We'll get to it. Um, 
But other than the idea of a person who goes and murders people and takes the organs and brings them back to the company, that's really where the similarities between the two movies stop. Like, I actually found that this movie, to me, had more uh, ties to, like, Alita Battle Angel than, <laughs> than, than Repo Man. Like, having the dad who's actually secretly going out and murdering things, like... That's <laughs> right out of a lead of battle angel. Um, yeah, well, where this one maybe focused too much on the family drama, the the other one, Repo Men, um, fails because it doesn't uh, show any of the family drama. Oh, they sweep that under the rug immediately and just move yeah. on to make a generic action movie. Yeah. Uh, were there any highlights for you on this one? Um, I mean, listen, I I enjoyed the movie, but I was also very aware that. If I had seen it when I was a teenager, it would hit differently. I understand why people have a, a soft spot for it. Um, and I think it's because it's it's attached to a lot of nostalgia and the sort of wide-eyedness that you go into um, these sort of movies when you're a teenager. And part of that's like, it's the, the cult uh, thing. It's why it became a cult film, because it is like weird and tiny and like kind of fun. And it's it feels like finding, you know... A, a local band that put out one record and was great but uh never never got the success that you think that they deserve or whatever it's always going to hold a special place in your heart it's always going to be <laughs> a cool thing for you um but when you play it for somebody 10 or 15 or 20 years later it you know might not hit the same um, i had to take several breaks watching this movie i couldn't sit through it and it's not a long movie it's <laughs> less than an hour and a half with yeah. credits all that's to say i I enjoyed it, but I was never uh, swept off my feet. I was never taken in entirely by how, it. How do you feel about the music? I don't think any, like, there are quite this a bit. A, sorry, I, I interrupt you quickly. This is another thing. The music was, um, similarly to the, the blurriness or whatever, the music was mixed very low and weird. Yeah. So it, just, and it sounded um, wrong and off the entire time, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it was just the way it was mixed. I think it was mixed poorly, and I think... I mean, obviously, there was a range of talent in in, in, in the, uh, what you got, like, uh, um, the actor who played uh, Nathan and the Repo Man, the father, um, uh, Anthony Head, who's from yeah. Buffy. He played Giles. That's right. He actually was pretty fucking good. He's <laughs> like, like a classically was trained pretty, singer. Yeah, he was really good. He's incredible. Uh, and then Sarah Brightman is the, um, the woman. Blind the Mag. Guys. Yeah, Blind Mag. Um, she's an actual is, opera singer yeah and she uh she was married to andrew lloyd Webber for a while yeah, yeah. and so I, I mean obviously she's fine i'd say everybody uh, else she's wasn't very good she is. uh paris hilton was not the worst part of this movie surprisingly in fact no, I, I would say she's probably one of the shining stars of this movie i thought she did pretty well yeah and that kind of makes sense with um the sort of revelations that have come out about paris hilton recently are you familiar with any of that no yeah, I haven't I haven't like delved into it, so I don't want to um, make it too much of a talking point. But Paris Hilton like has been talking a lot recently about how she was doing a character through the two thousands. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like, yeah, she's and, that, and she's doing interviews like as herself now, and she's very well spoken and very like aware of um, her place in pop culture. And um, it doesn't surprise me that she did roles like this and. Um, house of wax which we were like i, I think you were uh, we were both surprisingly um oh my god I'm we, my train of thought. we both liked her in that movie yeah, we yeah. thought she was we were pleasantly nowhere surprised. near the worst yeah yeah 
I and I, I believe what you're saying about her. I mean, you look at outside of her pop culture, her TV shows, her movies, her her little albums that she's done. She has her cosmetic and perfume lines and everything that do very well internationally. Like she's a billionaire in her mm-hmm. own right outside of the the Hilton fortune. So, you know, it does not surprise me that she uh is smarter than she appears to be in in the the zeitgeist. Yeah. Um the um one of the co-writers is the um grave robber the grave robber and he's got a fantastic voice i felt hit or miss with him like I, the song at the end where he kind of summarized the movie and what mm-hmm. happened i thought was really good but the begin like the first song where he kind of tees up the world and tells us what's going on i hated that i didn't feel like the lyrics matched the music at all and it, it 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 really pulled me out initially i'm like Oh fuck! This is gonna be terrible. Um, but as I feel like the music got better as the movie went on, like I feel like the musical numbers towards the beginning weren't very good, but I feel like they got better. Now I don't want to say any of them were good in my opinion, but I think I think they ramped up and got better. Um, yeah. But on the whole, this movie is weird. <laughs> it is weird, I, and I see why it's got a cult following. Um, I think. I think what it, there's like an uncanny valley thing going on where it feels like it should be campy, but it also stops just short of actually being campy in an appealing way. Does that make I sense? Really, yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying. Like, I feel like if this was gestated a little bit longer and given a little bit more time to develop and then maybe went to somebody like Tim Burton, like, I think you could have had something pretty interesting with this. Um not to I, say Tim Burton needs to have his hands on this, but I'm saying like I think there's enough here that you could have had something really interesting that had you know a little bit broader appeal. See, that's interesting because I feel like if you let it, I don't. I think you're right, um, and I think that is one of two ways that it could have gone. I think Tim Burton would have done something with a little bit more sincerity and a little bit more, um, I don't know, artistic flair, a little bit more of a vision, maybe. Even though this movie, like, in it to its credit does have a vision yeah i don't know know if it like you said maybe it didn't gestate long enough but it's doing a very specific thing but i think the other direction it could have gone is that would have made it more campy is just somebody who um i don't know it's you know it's so hard to like put a a fine point on camp especially as a cishet white male right (laughs) um but it, it feels like it's it takes itself a little bit too seriously but it doesn't connect and it just makes it cringy in places where it should be camp and fun and endearing because of how bad it is right and what's interesting is like the talent that you have in this movie like you have paul servino as like roddy largo one of the worst singers in the movie (laughs) oh he's atrocious but he's a fantastic actor and is great in so many other things yeah and he ended up doing another movie with the creative team behind this uh, and this was originally at one point, they were saying that this is like the middle movie of what they would have wanted to be a tr- uh, uh, a trilogy, and they wanted to make a prequel and a sequel, and that just never happened. And apparently, most of the cast still wants to do it, with the exception of Paris Hilton. Apparently, she's like the only one who doesn't really want to come back, but based off the end of the movie, That's her okay. character's pretty important to because she's now running the company at the end of the, the movie. But I think we should maybe just expand the synopsis just a little bit, put, put a little bit more details in there, and then... We can maybe start wrapping up, but in a nutshell, 
to expand on the uh, summary that Alex provided earlier, uh, Shiloh, played by Alexa Vega from Spy Kids, um, she <laughs> has a blood disease and is drawn outside at some point and meets the grave robber and then is chastised by her dad because she has this blood disease and she didn't take her medication. Um, and she apparently inherited this disease from her mother who's dead. Um, she's dead because her father, who's a scientist and the repo man, who, he was a doctor and he created a cure uh, and he thinks he killed her by experimenting. But it turns out that Roddy was like a rival lover and she <laughs> the mother left Roddy for Nathan and Roddy, in a fit of jealousy, poisoned the medication and killed the mom and then made it look like Nathan was the one who killed her and blackmailed him into becoming the repo man who goes and gets all the organs. And then at the end of the movie, he dies and he's like, hey, Shiloh, you're going to be the legacy and you're going to take over my company. doesn't really make sense as to why <laughs> he would pick Shiloh, somebody who doesn't know. I understand why he wouldn't want to give it to his children. Because his children are all fucking terrible. Yeah. Uh, but that's kind of the crux of the movie is, they like you said, it's a family drama. It's like Succession. Yeah. Yeah. It's But it's it's interesting. I think Paris Hilton was fine in this role. Bill mostly as Luigi Largo. All he did was yell and scream and was over the top. And was, that was like overly campy and didn't fit. His performance never fit the tone of anybody else's in the scenes he was with. Which is funny, right? Because actually, if everyone else was on the same page as him, it might be better. It might be. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it just was drastically different. And then you had um, Kevin Ogre played um, Pavi uh, Largo, which was like, I don't know if he was the youngest sibling or the middle one, but he doesn't do much to do anything in the plot. He just He's somebody who wears another other people's faces throughout the movie. Uh, so it makes sense that the father didn't want to give them the fan, the the business, but it's weird that he picks a stranger. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that Ogre is from the band Skinny Puppy, which is a yeah. huge uh, industrial band. And then Blind Mag was, and we don't find this out until the end of the movie. We hear about Blind Mag throughout, but uh, she's a singer. She was also um, Marnie, Shiloh's mom's best friend, and was supposed to be the goddaughter, or the godmother. But Nathan told everybody in the world that Shiloh died. Um, and everything so nobody knows about her um, and then at the end of the movie we find out that Nathan actually has been poisoning his daughter the entire movie to keep her isolated from the world which is pretty fucked up yeah and that's the movie the only real thing that I didn't understand was how the repo man became such a good fighter and how you can have this organization <laughs> only have one of these guys going that was through. unclear yeah, that was unclear to me if there was multiple repo men or just him. By the way, the design on his outfit is fantastic. I felt like that yeah, there, uh, his there costume was, was better than the movie deserved. Uh, no, you're right. Like there wasn't really any clear indication if there was more than one, but it seemed like it was just him because they kept saying he's my repo man, and he keeps saying I'm I'm right. the repo man. But you're right, his costume was really cool, and like I vividly remember going to Blockbuster and Hollywood Video. That really dates me, but and seeing this DVD mm -hmm. cover and thinking it just looked like a cheap slasher film, and that's honestly what I was expecting. Um, and there are a few scenes where he, you know, kind of just cuts through, but he like goes through like armed security guards, like nothing. Like he was a doctor. I understand like he could do the surgery portion, then he would know how to kill people, but like, how did he become such a good combatant? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't make sense. Who knows? <laughs> um. And then the, I guess the the grave, or not the grave, yeah, the grave robber, 
I guess he was supposed to be like our narrator, but he wasn't like consistently there. Like he narrated the beginning. He narrated like a little part in the middle about the drug like epidemic. And then he narrated the end of the movie. But all the rest of the narration throughout the movie was done in comic book form. And that was yeah, another thing. I, I thought, read I, that he had a lot of scenes cut out. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because like, I think I, I thought the comic books were cool, but I would have either I would have preferred my my um, what's the word I'm looking for? My brain is not working. My when they give plot details out exposition, exposition. I would have preferred my exposition dumps to be one or the other. Like have Grave Robbers sing to me and tell yeah. me what's going on or do the comic books. But it was kind of a, a mixed mat mismatch and it, it kind of ruined the tone and it really kind of grinds the movie to a halt when you have these comic books. Yeah. Even though the artwork in the comic book, you know, transitions was fantastic. It just no, it's in, kind, it's inconsistent is what we we're talking earlier about. Uh, there not being um, a solid vision behind it. Yeah. And I think you, you hit it on the head. I think, you know either if it just stated, you know, more, or if they just leaned in on the camp, like if everybody was over the top, like the Luigi Largo character, it could have been more interesting, but I, and I mean, that's just sidebar. I don't, there's no way for them to lean in on the camp. Like it either is, or it isn't. And if those guys were capable of um, making something campy, that's what this would have been. Right. And the filmmakers are just like, not, not capable of it. I clearly, and it's, I feel bad. Cause like I said, I, I couldn't get through this. I had to stop several times. I just, this movie did not mesh with me. It didn't, it didn't strike any kind of connection with me. And like you, like we said, there are certain things in here. Like, I think there's an interesting movie in here. And I think if they remade it with a bigger budget or just had somebody with a better vision, mm-hmm. I think, I think this could be interesting. Yeah. And you know, the whole point of this podcast is whether or not things should be remade. And I, I would like to see a remake of this with someone, um, someone interesting helming it. Um, you know, probably not Lin-Manuel Miranda, but somebody, <laughs> somebody with that. Uh, what about gra- Rob Zombie? That gravitas and that like sense of vision. Um, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I mean, Rob Zombie might make it go a little. I mean, it would definitely be think darker, that- but I think there'd be a consistent tone. Yeah, I think that the appeal of having to be a musical is that um, the like beautiful singing, the operatic singing parts um, are at such contrast with the world of the movie and um, the tone and the subject matter that that's what makes it interesting. I feel like if Rob Rob Zombie is, I respect him in a lot of ways, not necessarily for the horror movies that he's made, but I don't think that doing an operatic musical is in his wheelhouse yeah that's fair but visually maybe visually i think he would be a great visual director and storyteller for this but yeah the music part this is how we end up with what we got in opera is like trying to like frankenstein this thing together yeah and i like what you said how you know in theory if you had you know the operatic segments you know contrast the the grisly world that's here um i think it could be interesting and a great statement but i just don't think this delivered on any any kind of thing that it was trying to do i, I don't yeah. think it did horror very well i don't think it like even the gory stuff like that's like it was good like the the effects were good but like i just don't think i don't think this movie was successful in anything that it meant to do <laughs> let's just to end it on a good note um there's a there are a lot of movies that i enjoyed as a teenager that um deserve some praise for just being fucking weird and trying something 
and it feels like this movie did that. Yeah, that's um, fair. So I appreciate that. They tried yeah. to do essentially a new metal rock opera that takes place in the future and it's about repossessing organs. And yeah. that's that's kind of fucking cool, man. Yeah. Like there's a solid structure there. I think this is something that I mean, this is normally what we do to wrap up the episode, but I will say it now. Like I think this is something that in the right hands could be fairly interesting. Yeah. And it just it wasn't this one, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'm glad right, I saw but, it eventually. I'm glad it exists. You know, it's it's something that I've I've always been aware of, and at least I know where I stand <laughs> on this film. <laughs> yeah. All right, bud. What have you been up to? Um, we finished the White Lotus. Is that series done? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was a six episode limited series, and let me tell you, man, that movie blew my dick off. It was. Or that I mean, series, now that I know it's so done, good. I'll probably get to it. It's so good. Um, Excellent. It's. Written and directed by uh, Mike White. Actually, I don't know if he directed each episode, but he created it. Um, who is, you know, School of Rock fame. And um, it's a very different tone than School of Rock. But the way he um, handles these characters who are all awful and endearing and right and wrong in equal doses. And the sense of, like, tension in every episode uh, mixed with, like, absurdity and banality of american life um is fascinating i i enjoyed every episode i highly recommend it yeah it's it's on my list i added it to my q and hbo max a couple weeks ago when you first mentioned it yeah um but katrina and i are gonna have a some a gap in um shows to watch pretty soon so it's definitely on my list tight um let's see i don't think we talked about watch sausage party earlier this month for the first time oh i, I fucking love that movie it's hilarious you know, it's funny. I was like into it. I, I hadn't seen it until this this watch, and I was into the idea. I love all those guys like that, um, Seth Rogen and um, and Jonah Hill and James Franco, like that whole crew of comedians are like right up my alley. Um, and I tried watching the first like ten minutes of Sausage Party, I think three or four years ago, and I just could not do it. Like something about it turned me off. And then I had like a sour taste in my mouth for, um, about it for a long time. So I was pleasantly surprised when I watched it this time and I somehow I missed that it was like um, a screed on religion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I watched Hudson Hawk for the first time in 10 or 15 years. I almost watched that. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's about so it. I almost watched it because it's on HBO Max now. You know, it's funny. I will, This is exactly what we were talking about with Reaper the Genetic Opera. I have so many fond memories of watching Hudson Hawk um, as, a, as a kid because we had HBO and I had, you know, run of the house after school for a few hours. And I would uh, I, I've seen it maybe 10 times um, as a kid, but again, not recently. Um, so I have, I have a lot of fond memories of it. And I rewatched it with Scarlett. And I was like kind of excited to show it to her. Um, oh, no. And. She was like, you know, she thought it was fine. And upon rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of like jokes that don't hold up um, either because they're problematic or they're just not great. I mean, they did but, cover it on uh, how did this get made? Oh, yeah. I think I don't think I've listened to that one. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> but it's it is still a lot of fun. Like there's a lot of like weird, uh, quirky shit that I feel like you can't help but laugh at. Interesting. Um, I've never so seen it, it. Yeah, it was fun to rewatch. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. Yeah, it's in my um, list. I'll I'll get to it eventually. Yeah, and then uh, I watched Sword of Trust from 2019, which is uh, Lynn Shelton's 
uh, last movie before she passed away. I don't even know what that is. Never even heard of it. So, um, do you know who Lynn Shelton is? No, not off just based off the name. Let me look her up. <laughs> yeah, um, she's like a mumblecore um, filmmaker. Um, and this was also produced by Joe Sw- uh, Swanberg. Um, so it stars uh, Mark Marin as a pawn shop owner, and he um, comes into contact with these women trying to sell uh, a sword from the Civil War that proves, apparently, proves that the South um, won, that the North surrendered to the South. Um, and it becomes this, like, I want to describe without giving too much away. Um it becomes this sort of descent into um, the American South and conspiracy theorists who ah. believe this kind of thing. Um, Interesting. She's directing starring Mark Marin. Really great stuff. A lot of episodes of uh, Glow, AP Bio. First mm-hmm. she directed a lot of stuff, huh? Yeah. So it's this, you know, this story about these uh, very serious issues um, uh, told in sort of this like. Uh, I mean this in a loving, loving way, uh, meandering mumblecore style. <laughs> um, Jillian Bell also stars in it. And okay. I really fucking enjoyed it. It's really good. There's a lot of like um, conversations that go on for way longer than you'd expect that are just like little detours from the movie that we're paying attention to that we're watching. And um, they're just like fun and interesting. And they sort of circle back into giving you like this interesting insight on these characters and just like life. Um, so it's cool. And uh, Mark Marin and uh, Lynn Shelton, um, I don't know if they got married, but they were together for a few years before Lynn uh, suddenly away. died in oh, 2020. That's sad. Yeah. But that kind of, um, you know, added some some weight to this movie. I'm glad that um, the two of them were able to do this before that's she passed. Good. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. Okay. Well, I um, was pretty oh, and, busy. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. And I'll, and also, uh, Scarlett and I rewatched uh, Metalocalypse. <laughs> I've never, I never got into that one. I've seen bits it's and so pieces good. when it's you know on late at night, but never actually really watched it. It's so uh, good. I I had a lot of time to myself, but I was really busy. Like I ended up working a lot of late nights because it's our busiest time at work. Um, so a lot of the stuff I just kind of had on the background or on at the gym, um, but. Dave wrapped up season two, so we we finished that. We were watching that, you know, week by week. Um, can't recommend that show enough. Um, we finally finished the original run of Twin Peaks, and it's taken us months to watch that, but it's one <laughs> that both Katrina and I wanted to make sure we watched it when we didn't have other stuff going on so we could actually pay attention to it. So it's one that we it probably took us like three or four months to watch, but we finally got through it. And uh, How I feel. I, I understand why people loved it. I, I loved it. I thought it was really weird and campy, but uh, it, there's just something about it. Uh, you know, the uh, Kyle MacLachlan and it is just, I, I can't not love Cooper. So I really enjoyed it. So we gotta, we're going to probably watch the, uh, the little movie that's a prequel and sequel this weekend. And then uh, eventually we'll get to season three that came out on um, in 2017. So yeah. we'll get to that. Um, let me know when you start watching season three, because I'm feeling like I want to do a rewatch. Okay. Yeah, I'll let you know when we get there. Uh, we watched The Importance of Being Earnest, the the 50s version. The the black No, it's not black and white, but the old one. And it was delightful. I've never seen any version of it, The uh, Importance of Being Earnest. It's an absurd plot, but it was really fun. And there's some, there's some honestly, some pretty risque jokes for the time. And I thought it was really good. And then um, 
Walking Dead is coming back. I've been being out out of the loop for a couple of years. I used to fucking love this show and then it got bad and then I felt it got better and then it got bad again. Um, but season 10 dropped on Netflix and I figured, you know what? I might as well watch the last season. So I, I got caught up. Um, surprisingly, I actually was only one season behind. I guess I watched one of the other seasons when it came up, but, uh, I actually really liked season 10. It was just like ramping up, ramping up, ramping up, ramping up. But this season was one where like there was delays and everything. So it ended up being a longer season and, they took care of like the main baddie for the season and then it went on for like five more episodes and they did all these like weird episodes that took place like a decade prior and they had like a Negan origin episode and then they had an episode oh, where it was Daryl like on his own for like five years kind of thing and it was just like weird. these should have been in the middle like you shouldn't have like completed the season and then had these tacked on because it completely just ruined the momentum but uh uh you know, it was fine. I'm I'm gonna watch the last season. I'll probably watch it week by week and whatever. And then uh, we watched, of course, the Suicide Squad. We did a Patreon only episode. Uh, if you'd like us, support us on Patreon. You get exclusive episodes there, and you get early access to all our regular episodes. Hey, and how much is that per month? It's it's whatever you want to give us, but as little as a dollar a month. Uh, and then you can wow. give us as That's much so as you want. It's super low, and you get extra content and early access. Uh, and the last thing I watched is we watched um, on HBO Max, they have the the Studio Ghibli hub. And we were trying to pick a, a, a film to watch. And then there's there's two documentaries on there. So we picked one to watch. I can't remember which what it's called. Uh, surprisingly, like the documentaries are all in Japanese and like it doesn't have English subtitles. Like you have to go on and turn on like the Apple TV subtitles for it. But uh, it was really interesting to see like how they make the movies and how obviously how different their culture is, how... And they have this like structure and how everything has to be perfect. But then there's just this like delightful sense of innocence that the studio still has after, you know, cranking up movies for decades. So it was, it was really interesting to see how a Japanese animation studio differs from like an American studio like Disney, where it's just, you know, it's like a factory where that seems like that mean the art obviously matters to them still. So I'm, I'm not a big you know, you know, um, Miyazaki guy, I'm not really into like anime and stuff like that, but Katrina's really into it. So I'll watch them periodically with her, but I felt watching that documentary was really interesting. And it makes me respect those movies a little bit more, even if I don't necessarily enjoy them a whole lot. I understand like the love and the passion and the time and the process that went into it. I can see why people love them so much. So I felt good watching that. Good. It's good to feel good. Yeah. All right, let's get into the next one, Repo let's Man. Uh, I'll summarize this one. So, uh, Repo Man 2010, uh, starring Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker. Um, basically, what this is, is uh, there's a company called The Union. Terrible name for uh, a <laughs> medical conglomerate, but whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, the Union has perfected making artificial organs uh, and has completely... Mon uh, made a monopoly of organ transplants. So instead of using actual organs, everybody exclusively gets this company's uh, artificial organs. And much like Repo, the genetic opera, uh, they sell it on credit. And if you can't pay for it, uh, they send Repo Men out to get the organs back. Uh, Jude Law and Forrest Whitaker play Repo Men, and they are loving their job. They're uh, Jude Law's wife isn't so happy with it. She wants him to go to sales and he's like, 
conflicted about it because he wants to make his wife happy, but he also like kind of likes the job until he experiences an accident and needs a heart and is unable to pay for it. And so he must go on the run from the repo men. That's right. That's the movie. Ironically, the union needs a union. Yeah, they do. Because that shit was a work injury and it should have been covered by the union. That was my biggest gripe with it where I'm like, is there not an employee discount? He got hurt doing the job. I feel they should cover it. Like, even if they couldn't, could he not sue them for like, you know, putting him in harm's way? I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, some sort of document he assigned, but the, the equipment that what caused the accident was a defibrillator that was faulty. Yeah, like he should be able to sue the manufacturer of the defibrillator. Now, later on in the movie, we find out that somebody messed with it on purpose to get him hurt, hoping he would stay uh, being a repo man versus going to sales. But uh, Which is the dumbest motivation. He just wants to pal around with his buddy. Yep. That's why the whole movie happened, because Forrest Whitaker beat the shit out of this Forrest kid. Forrest Whitaker's and then 20 supposed years to be later, three years. Him. Yeah. Forrest Whitaker's supposed to be three years older than Jude Law. He's not. <laughs> He's 12 years older than him, and he looks it. Not that um, Forrest Whitaker looked bad in this movie. It's just I, I don't believe that him and Jude Law are the same age. Yeah. And, and just furthermore on that point, the – well, I guess this is during the horrific ending. But until we realize what the ending is, it seems like uh, Forrest Whitaker just needed to learn about the power of love. And, and once that happened, he was like all about – well, no, because he his mind changed when he realized that Jude Law really loved um, the chick from Suicide Squad. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, the, we hear oh, about I, this. Oh, go ahead. Let me, sorry. I, I, I do have a, one question before we get into all this. Yeah. Why did his Jude Law's um, excuse me, why did Jude Law's wife hate his job so much? I mean, I get that. Like, she knows what it actually is. And I think, you know, does she say that, though? Yeah, I think so. Like, there's a few things like that, like that Jude Law says that gives you paints the picture a little bit because, like, um, the news kind of talk like they talk about that in the news that there are whispers that the repo men go and kill people, and the union has like these big things like they um, leave Schreiber plays like the head salesperson, like he's not the head of the company, but he's like the main guy in sales. He's right. the sales manager, and. Jude Law comes through the front door at one point, bringing organs back, and he's like in a, a shirt and everything. Like he doesn't look like he Looks just like killed. A, yeah, he didn't. Doesn't look. Yeah, he does look like he's got the suspenders and stuff. He doesn't look like he just killed a couple of people, but he comes in. There's no way anybody could know who or what the fuck he did. But uh, Leif Schreiber's like, you, you can't be coming through the front door like like you're the boogeyman. Like it scares people. And he has this little speech and goes. You don't have to worry about it. We have, you know, payment plans for that meets everybody's needs. And even if you fall a little behind, you have 90 days before we will collect. And they don't talk about the repo men or anything like that. Um, but then the wife mentions like she hates the hour. She hates the danger kind of stuff like that. So it's like she knows. And then there's a point where they're having a family barbecue and a taxi driver who's friends with Forrest Whitaker. I actually like that scene. I thought that was a good scene too. Um, brings a guy who's past due to the barbecue and Forrest Whitaker does surgery like out in the driveway and the the wife sees it and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? So it's like, she knows what it is. And like, it, I, f- I feel like there's a little bit of like the mob wife thing. Like, you know, Hey, here's the house you got. Like, you know, well, if I go to the sales job and we're going to make less, like I'm trying to give you the life. 
But uh, she tells him multiple times, like, I don't want you doing this. So that leads me to another question. But before I get to that, I feel like if the wife mentioned it early on, um, then I, it, I missed it. It just uh, it went uh, went by too quickly. But I feel like um, the movie didn't do a good enough job making her point. Um, yeah, she, she, didn't she comes off as just kind of it. she just comes off as naggy, and you have to like interpret that she doesn't like the violence or something. But then my my issue with it is that she's perfectly fine um, cashing the check from it. Yeah, and that's where that my and mob her, wife. If her issue is <laughs> the val- yeah, if her issue is the violence that he's in danger, um, the movie doesn't make that case at all because at no point is Jude Law in danger. He's like uh, Vin Diesel in the Fast and the Furious. Like he's doing all this crazy shit without getting a scratch on him until the end, which is a dream anyway. Right. Oh, way to ruin it. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, no. Uh, so, in, and to be fair, Jude Law spoilers. does agree. Like, he's he's conflicted about it, and there's several times where he's going to tell Leif Schreiber that he wants to leave the repo right. department and go to sales, and the two different times he attempts to do it, um, Forrest Whitaker shows up and kind of, like, derails it. So, there, to be fair, like, he he's... And he explains it to Forrest Whitaker at one point, like, my wife doesn't like this, 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 and I kind of agree. Like, I want to be around my son, and going to sales will allow me to be around more often. And I I definitely think there were scenes cut between him and his son. uh, because And his wife, I think. Yeah, because later on in the movie, after he has his accident, um, and he wakes up in the hospital, he goes to his house, and the locks are changed. And later on, he's like, I just want to see my son. And the wife's like, no, you can't see your son. And then inexplicably towards the middle end of the movie um, when he's about to like leave and go you know take on the corporation uh, he sees his son and his son like attacks the mom it's like (laughs) dad I love you kind of thing but it's like you never really see you know him and the son interact in any kind of way that shows like the love they have where the son would be willing to attack his mom with a stun gun to see that that moment was really gross the way that the the movie played it felt very um unearned and dirty and weird it was it was almost like you scamp why did you do that and ruffle the head kind of thing yeah and it was a little very problematic that this kid attacked us and then he just left him on the train with all these strangers around like oh this kid just shot his mom he's five years old and he's by himself and he's being pursued by you know this agent or whatever who is gonna see the this woman on the ground and the kid's just holding like a dossier with all this information yeah so to expand on this just a little bit essentially what ends up happening is you know, we see Jude Law take out a couple different people and he gives us the breakdown and there are a few little like not breaking the fourth wall. Like he's definitely narrating it, but it's he's narrating it through a book that he's writing kind of thing, which is comes and go. It's really inconsistent. But um, he explains the premise of the movie and then we see him do a couple of things and then his wife kicks him out because of the the, the murder in their driveway. The taxi cab surgery. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so... Forrest Whitaker's like, hey, I understand you got to do right by your family. Let's do this one more job. Um, I think you're going to like it. It's with RZA. He's a music guy. You <laughs> like his music. And like he has a great moment with RZA. And RZA's like, uh, he, <laughs> this joke is, I think, is pretty funny. But they're like, we're obligated to offer you an ambulance. Uh, would you like to call an ambulance? And RZA's like, what, to get another heart? And Jude Law's like, with your credit, fuck no, like kind of thing. It's <laughs> like obviously these people are not going to get treated. Like the point of the um, ambulance is stupid. And there's the other points where he makes the same joke, but the people are unconscious because they stunned him or knocked him out or whatever reason. So it's like it's a 
empty gesture to even offer medical treatment to these people. But uh, he goes to t- uh, stop Riz's heart with a defibrillator and he gets electrocuted. His heart stops. He wakes up in the hospital and uh, he's now guilt ridden. Like he is unable to be a repo man. And so he goes to sales and he's unable to lie because he knows about the repo men. Uh, and so he goes into debt and he's got to go on the run. And there's a, what, what was their name? I forgot her name. Uh, the suicide squad freedom fighter. Is it Betty or something like that? Beth. It's Beth. Her name's Beth. Um, This this part didn't really make a ton of sense to me, but they're at a bar at the beginning of the movie and he sees Beth who's a singing and for whatever reason, he's enamored by her. He immediately gives up on his wife. Like when he wakes up and she kicks him out immediately, he's just like, he sees her at like a, like this little refugee camp for people who are past due and to kind of get Jude law back on his feet. Forrest Whitaker drops him off at a nest and is like, here, this is what you're going to do. You're going to, get this person and you're going to keep going and you're going to wipe out this nest until your debt's paid and you can get your life back. And he just decides to run off with Beth. He sees her there and they recognize each other and they are just immediately are like fucking. And it's like, they don't know each other. And then he just decides, okay, I'm going to go back to the, he goes back to the union and he tries to wipe her debt. And he's, he's an idiot. Like it's weird as they, they have this like cutaway where they explain that the repo men are not supposed to be smart and they're recruited from people who are like out of the military who went to specific divisions who aren't smart but you're trusting these people to essentially do surgery so like Mm -hmm. that part didn't really make sense to me but like jude law himself is like yeah i'm a dummy i'm a dumb idiot i got a small brain and a big skull but he seems to be able to outsmart fucking everybody throughout this movie it doesn't make any sense um So ultimately what they end up having to do is they have to go to the company headquarters and they do surgery. He does surgery on Beth, Beth does surgery on him and they put all their organs in the bin and then Forrest Whitaker comes and blows up the building with them. And then we flash back, we find, or we go to the beach and they're, they're living happy. They're in the tropics and then there's a glitch. And then we find out that in the middle of the movie, there's a point where uh, Forrest Whitaker and Jude Law had to fight, but it looks like Beth rescues Jude Law. Turns out, nope, that didn't happen. Forrest Whitaker accidentally just fucking knocked the shit out of Jude Law, fucked up his brain, made him brain dead, and decides to pay for this thing that we just see an advertisement for, but it's like the mnemonic 5.0, and basically it takes brain dead people and allows them to live out their life so people who are feel bad about putting pulling the plug uh, can just keep somebody on life support and that person can live out a fantasy. And that's what we find out like the last third so of the movie stupid. is. And it just, it was a twist that wasn't earned. Like they never explained what, like, I guess you can't go out of your way to explain what the mnemonic device is. Cause if they did, then you would, you would see the twist coming a mile away. But this was just like a movie that like Which didn't earn the a movies, twist ending. The movie's not concerned with you seeing twists coming from a mile away because I knew exactly what was going to happen to Forrest Whitaker. That he was going to be responsible for it. I that one was very obvious because he was like purposely putting him in very specific situations. Uh, but yeah, that twist with the mnemonic device was just not and, was not earned. And it makes it so hard to discuss this movie because there's so many um, weird inconsistencies with the second half of the movie, and then you find out that it all happened inside of his brain, and he's living out this like superhero fantasy, and you're like, oh. So all the problems I had didn't even matter 
what, what, what right. was the point then? Like, what did we do? Well, one of my biggest notes that drove me crazy was was a point where like they go through the you know the host or the um, the airport, and it's it's very reminiscent of like Total Recall where they're trying they're using a device mm-hmm. to fool the scanners and and the TSA and everything. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then like they get through security, and immediately her leg starts bleeding. And so, like, they get got. And so now they're like, okay, I guess we got to go back to the corporation and just try to figure it out that way. So they get through the corporation and then they get to this hallway and it's like one guard and they take out the guard. And then it looks like a bunch of just white collar business people. And they initially are acting all terrified and they're cowering in the corner. And then all of a sudden, they all pull out all these like hidden weapons from like briefcases and inside their suits and inside their shoes and shit like that. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then, yeah. Jude Law just kills all of them. And I'm like, this is fucking stupid. Like, this makes no sense. And then that the little surgery scene, like, she has her hand, like, up in his chest cavity trying to scan his organ. <laughs> and then she he does all this surgery. And she's like, there's no way you would fucking survive getting, like, 10 surgeries at one time. Yeah. And putting your fist with, a essentially, like, a, a price scanner from Target <laughs> up in you, too. And I was like, this makes no sense. And then, like you said, it, it ends up being a dream. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, and it feels like it should be, it feels like the point should be um, a comment on like superhero movies, you know, on these people being larger than life all of a sudden, but that's not what it is at all. Right. Uh, But the movie is sort of indirectly making that point, but because they don't know that they're doing it, it's actually like um, ironic. They're they're sort of self-owning themselves. What I think would have been a better ending would have been if... You know, we see the, you know, he gets killed by the accident with with Riza. And then um, we see the rest of the movie. And then we get the, essentially the same thing. But instead of getting um, the, oh, you know, Forrest Whitaker paid for it and blah, 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 because he's such a good friend. I think it would have been interesting if we went back. You see him in a hospital bed hooked up to this thing. And you have Lee Schreiber. And it's very like Michael Keaton in RoboCop, the remake. But Lee Schreiber is like doing the pitch to... Uh, Jude Law's wife and being like hey this is it I know you had your differences you know he's an employee we're going to give him a special you know homie hookup sign on the dotted line and it's just the cycle continues I think that would have been a better ending yeah see that's more interesting I was going to say there's movies this is like a very trendy um, twist to put in a movie uh, around this time right Fight Club sort of did a similar thing but they did it in a much better way because the twist of the movie that uh, spoilers that um, Tyler Durden is um, Jack. Yeah. Is Jack. I was going to say he's a, he's a figment of his imagination or he's um, you know, another version of himself that he uh, externalized and created and externalized to deal with his own um, issues. issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Trying to like not litigate the entire movie. Um, but it, it, he created him to make sense. And then the end of the movie is him reintegrating this, um, this part of himself back into himself. And it like, it, it, it plays with the the themes of the movie. Whereas this one is the, it feels like the movie's just going, ha, gotcha. Now yeah. he's fucked up. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. It's just a twist for the sake of having twists because yeah, exactly. from the mid two thousands, from like the early two thousands, really starting with, with um, um, the sixth sense. And for about a 15-year period, there were a lot of movies that just had pointless twists for no reason. Um, and there were movies, you know, like um, The Prestige that had, like, a twist that came out of nowhere. But it was earned. And, like, yeah, right. and going back and to your I Fight Club. I think the Sixth Club, Sense one is earned, too. Yeah. Like, just when you watch clear. Sixth Sense, 
Fight Club and The Prestige, as you go back and now that you know it, like you just start seeing things. Like every time I rewatch Fight Club, I notice another little thing that's like, how the fuck did I not see this coming? But the right. first time you watch Fight Club, there's no way you could predict that Tyler Durden is the protagonist, right. narrator, Jack, you know, whatever you want to call him. And I think that's a good twist where it's like, there's no way you could have seen it coming. But then once you know about it, you're like, holy shit, oh, how did I not see that coming? And I don't feel like that was this. Um, just to, before we wrap up, just kind of comment on, obviously this isn't a real remake of of Repo, the genetic opera. So we don't need to say, yeah, this was worthwhile kind of thing. But uh, the, just to kind of give credence that these did not plagiarize each other. A lot of people accused the creators of this movie as plagiarizing Repo. Um, this was based off a book by the same, by the screenwriter uh, called The Re um, Repossession Mamba. And he started writing it in like the late 90s. And then um, the Repo, the genetic opera started in the late 90s, early 2000s. They were doing little 10 minute operas at like film festivals and stuff like that. And they decided to expand it. Um, so they actually came about honestly 100% separate from each other around within a year or two of each other. And then it just took like 10 years for the movies to come out. Um, but none of the screenwriters, none of the creatives had any overlap where they could have possibly heard about it. It is just a coincidence. And none of the, uh, none of the creatives have any animosity towards each other, even though fans of Repo the Genetic Opera have animosity towards this movie. It is not, not necessary. They didn't do anything wrong. So yeah, take that, that hate and funnel it into something else. Yeah, that seems like such a funny hill to die on to repo the genetic opera. Right. Um, yeah, I, I didn't care for this movie either. Just for what yeah. it's worth. Yeah, if I had to recommend one of them, it would be repo the genetic opera. See, I'm torn. Like, if I had, if you put a gun to my head and said I had to watch one of these right now, I would probably do Repo Men because at least it's like a quote unquote normal movie. You know, it did have some decent action in it. Like, it wasn't a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. I wouldn't even say that it's a terrible movie. Like, it's a bad move, bad to average movie. And, like, it, it had a budget of $32 million and worldwide only made $18 million. So, it was a flop in all regards. I don't think it was terrible. Like, I think Jude Law was good in it. I think Forrest Whitaker was good in it. Leif Schreiber is always good. It's like, I think some of the performances were fine. It's just a very thoroughly average film, but I would probably watch this one before I watch repo the genetic opera again. Well, but, uh, that's not the question. The prompt is which one would you recommend to a friend? I wouldn't um, recommend any, but I would probably say <laughs> depends on the friend. If you're, if you were my friend, I mean, you are sure. my friend, but if I was recommending it to you, I would recommend repo. But if I was recommending it to most people, I would probably say repo men. I think it's the more palatable film. Yeah, I think I'm the opposite. I think um, I would re recommend Genetic Opera um, just because I think there's more value in something from a, from a you know independent artist outside of the That's fair. The from system. an artistic standpoint, you're absolutely it's right. It's weird and quirky. I think there's more value in that. Even if it doesn't quite hit its mark, I think it's taking yeah. a bigger swing, and that's interesting to me. I just think it's not a palatable movie to most people. That's yeah. that's where where my recommendation. But from an artistic standpoint, I do think Repo the Genetic Opera has more artistic merit. Yeah, I think it, it interestingly, 
neither one of these movies have a strong enough vision to uh, for them to be successful. But I think that Repo Men is the product of um, being forced through the the Hollywood yeah. machine, you know, bureaucracy and um, homogeny of just trying to make a, a a cool action thriller with a crazy twist at the end. Um, and yeah, I think Repo Genetic Opera is more more the result of um, I don't know. It's not, a labor of not, love. Not, yeah, maybe like not having enough experience or something. Maybe, but they, they, yeah, they, they both kind of end up. I, at the I same wouldn't place say experience. I'd say it was budget. Because like by that point, by the time that movie came out, the director. I don't want to say done... budget because I don't think that throwing more money at that movie. No, would have made well, and to be fair, they ran out of money at one point, and Paris Hilton went and just did in the cities they were filming, just went and did publicity appearances yeah. and made enough money to fill in the gap to finish making the movie. And she doesn't even Paris have to Hill, produce it. patron of the arts. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's great. There's obviously people who liked it and they got together to make other movies, a lot of the same crew to make other stuff down the line with an even smaller budget. So there was definitely a labor of love in that movie. A lot of people in that project loved what they did and stand by it. Alexa Vega has said that she really wants to make the other two movies. Um, the, um, the guy who played Roddy, who's a fantastic actor. Um, Paul Servino. Paul Servino has went on to make more movies with this creative duo. So there's something to be said for that. Like people had a good time making this movie. So for what it's worth, I probably will never watch either of these movies again, but I do see why repo, the genetic opera has the cult following. Yeah. So cool. Tell us where our listeners can find you and we'll wrap this up. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Dyslexic, D-Y-S, Alex, I-C. I'm on Twitter at Polishi, just my last name, P-U-L-I-S-C-I. I'm on TikTok at Polishi Polishi, just my last name twice. And um, you can follow along with the movies that I'm watching on Letterboxd, also at Polishi, just one Polishi. You're, you're getting TikTok famous. You've got a lot of viral shit on there. You should maybe consider moving all your uh, socials to Polishi Polishi to make you easy to find across all platforms. Oof, that I you know what that's so interesting I've been um I've been dealing with I've been dealing with that dilemma for the past few days and I have not thought about changing everything to Polishi Polishi and I like that idea I think that's the one that makes sense because your TikTok is your your biggest following now you've got some you got well, some it, some hits on there Instagram is still a bigger following but TikTok is uh growing faster right and um, gets more views yeah yeah. Well, I mean, Instagram, if the name's available, you can just change your name and it won't won't do anything. So uh, yeah. it's up to you, man. That's what I would do. But, you know, I might do it. It's your life. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys could check out everything that's MDX pods related at MDXPods.com, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, all at MDX pods. Uh, if you want to call the show, you can dial shit. I don't even remember the phone number, but it's in the it's in the the description if you want to leave us a voicemail ask us a question give us some commentary that would be great if you want to set shoot us an email and give us a topic or let us know a movie that you would like us to cover uh, whether it's a patreon exclusive or you know a topic for a topic episode or just a couple of movies you want us to talk about on the show you can email us at mdxpods at gmail.com if you want to follow what i'm doing on letterboxd i'm mdx mike and uh thank you for listening yeah